I'm so glad that you're here. You know the phrase that I spoke to you just a moment ago that Jesus said, drink all of it. You know, to understand greater forgiveness, to understand forgiveness like the world had never known before, you have to drink all that Calvary meant for us. And that is that you drink in all of his forgiveness. You drink in all of his deliverance from bondage. You drink in all of the freedom that he gives to us. You drink in how he gives hope to the hopeless. You drink in his healing this morning. It's what Jesus purchased for us at Calvary. Zechariah had prophesied about this. He said, there will be a fountain that opens up for the dynasty of David and the people of Jerusalem, a fountain that will cleanse them from all sin and all impurity. All that sin brought into our world, that fountain he was speaking of was the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to look this morning to Psalms 130. If you will join me and stand once again for the, out of respect for the word of the Lord, <clears throat> it will be on the screen if uh, you don't have your Bibles with you. And I hope that you're following along online with your apps with us this morning. From the depths of despair, O oh Lord, I call for your help. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you, you've ever, you can think back to a time where you were in the depths of despair. You gave up. You just, you felt like it was over with. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I'm counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. And I long for the Lord more than the centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than the centuries long for the dawn. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. And read this last sentence with me. His redemption overflows, and he himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. How many kinds of sin? Every kind of sin. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The last 20 years has seen a dramatic increase in suicide, especially among white middle-aged men. Dr. Craig Bryan studies suicide, and University of Utah, where he is a professor at, he believes that the cause of suicide is that we no longer think of ourselves as being in this thing together. We no longer think of ourselves as being a community, but instead we think of ourselves as self-reliant and individual. There's been an increase, he says, in every man for himself mentality. Every man for himself, no longer thinking of themselves. The, the cup that you just took is a common cup. The blood that we just sang about was shed for all of our sins and all of our iniquities. What we just proclaimed not only was the death and the resurrection of our Lord and the anticipation that he's coming, but we declared that we, the church, are the body of Christ. As a young man, I was fascinated with Ernest Hemingway. I remember the first time I was 13 years old when I read a book about by Ernest Hemingway, and then I went to my literature teacher, Mrs. Baldwin, and I wanted more books by Hemingway, and she pointed me to him, and then I discovered 13 years old that Hemingway committed suicide just in 1961, 
And I was floored, and I went to Mrs. Baldwin, and I talked to her about it. How could this man who lived every boy's dream, safaris in Africa, big game fishing off the coast of Cuba, a man who fought in wars, just looked for adventure, lived his life for adventure. I went as a, when I was working in Europe, I went to cafes that Hemingway had went to. I went and had coffee where he would have coffee and smoke cigarettes at and would write and talk to people. I still am somewhat fascinated with him. And after the first service, I found out that there was a family in our church that their great-grandparents actually were the ones that escorted the Hemingways to their summer home where they summered here in Michigan and helped them get established every year and built relationship with them. Just heard some fascinating stories right after the first service. But in 1961, this, this rugged man, this author who had lived such a bold life, put a shotgun in his mouth and took his own life. As a young 13-year-old boy, Mrs. Baldwin couldn't explain to me why. She just said he was a troubled man. In a recent issue, last matter of fact, last year in May of Rolling Stone magazine, I discovered this, that Hemingway had said that his father had committed suicide and he would probably go the same, same way. He had survived alcoholism. He had survived multiple concussions. He had survived crash landings. He had survived war. But what really killed Hemingway was this, a macho fantasy of a man who needed no one but himself. As I read that and clipped the article and saved it to my files, and I still read Rolling Stone, if any of you are interested in that, just to know what's going on, and I clipped that to my files, and I realized that pervasive macho mentality it's not only affected men, but now it seems to be affected women, and our world becomes more and more confused by the day of what makes a man, what makes a woman, what makes life, why is life really important? So much so, there's a brand new movement called, I wish I had never been born. Did you know that? It's a brand new movement. I wish I had never been born. There's a man by the name of Raphael Samuel. He's suing his parents for birthing him. Can you imagine that? Launching a lawsuit where he's suing his mother and dad for loving one another and wanting to bring a child into this world, bring him into this world. But it's not something that you and I just need to pass over because there is a growing acceptance of this philosophy. Samuel says, it's not our decision to be born and human existence is totally pointless. Well, where are they learning this from? They're learning this from elite educators and elite philosophers who've taken away the hope, not only for this life and meaning and purpose for this life, but for philosophers who say that, really, you should have never been born. Listen to philosopher David Benatar in his book, Better to Never Have Been Born, published in 2006. Life is a process of frustrations, irritations. Many lonely people remain single, while those who marry fight and divorce. People want to be, look, and feel younger, and yet they age relentlessly. Benatar goes on to write and says, it's intrinsically cruel and irresponsible to bring children into this world. I sat with a man one night for quite a long time. We chatted and we talked and He's a businessman, a wealthy businessman, very successful businessman, millionaire many times over. And he said to me, 
I just think it's cruel to bring a child into this world today. He'd recently accepted Christ, and I chatted with him about his, his, his outlook on life, and though he had become a new Christian, he still despaired about the future of the world. He still despaired about the politics of the world. He still despaired about everything that was going on. And he said to me, don't you really think it's just a cruel thing to bring a child into this world? What would this world be like? What kind of world are we leaving them and I looked at a man that I loved and I had prayed with to receive Christ as he said to me, why? Thankfully, he began to understand what this greater forgiveness is all about. He thankfully, he began to understand what this abundant life is all about. And thankfully, he began to understand that for the people of God, there is both a promise and a hope for a future for you and I now and for eternity. And today, he's the father of two wonderful, wonderful children. You see, a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ will pull you out of that pit of despair that is common to all people. All of us hit those pits of despair. I've been there more than once. The great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, battled with this all of his life, and yet he lived a successful, overwhelming, overcoming life for Jesus Christ. And if you've never read the book, it's a lengthy read, Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a powerful book on how to fight depression because your salvation is so much greater than what you realize. You see, we can never be in a place where God's love can't find us. We can never be in a place where we're so bound up with our problems that God's hope can't deliver us. We can never be in a place where we have wandered so far that God still won't come to us. We can never lose because Jesus Christ is writing the end of our story today. And the first chapter of my life is grace. The middle chapter of my life is grace. And when my life is done, the closing chapter of my life will still be grace. This week, a good friend of mine passed away, 65 years old. My contemporary, my age, he died of cancer. We grieved with his wife. We grieved with his family. Every Monday, I spent Mondays praying for him and just praying scriptures over his life. But he had lived such a powerful, overcoming, overwhelming life, a wonderful pastor, a great leader. But he faced his last battle in life. He faced it not with despair. He faced it with hope. He never gave up. He kept encouraging people. Just a week ago, I, two weeks ago, I got a message from him. And it was an encouraging message of gratitude and thanks. And as I read that message, I realized that he went home to heaven, not in despair. He went home in victory because he understood what it meant to be forgiven of our sins. And my prayer is that somehow or another, that you and I will know this this morning, God holds us in his right hand. God holds us in his right hand. Sometimes Becky will reach out to me and take my hand. I love that. Sometimes one of the little children here at church will reach out to me and take my hand. I love that. Yesterday, a little one came over, and we walked around the corner right there, and she hugged me, and I just was so grateful. But you see, every time that happens, I try to remind myself. I'm not sure I do it every time, but I try to remind myself that he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the little bitty babies in the hands. He's got you and me, brother and sister, in his hands. 
And it's so comforting to me to know he's got me in his right hand this morning. Study the hands of God because the hands of God are blessing. So David cries out in Psalm 69, listen, save me, O Lord, for the floodwaters are up to my neck and deeper and deeper I sink into the mire and I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. You ever felt like that? I'm in deep water. I watched a Tarzan movie when I was little on TV one time. And you know, there's always that scene where somebody gets stuck in quicksand, if you're old enough to remember Tarzan movies. And as I watched that Tarzan movie, I had a nightmare that night. I was sinking in the quicksand. I was going down. And I woke up screaming with my daddy, holding me and saying, fella, it's okay. I've got you, fella, it's okay. I have been in several jungles in my lifetime. And I got to tell you, I still can't go into a jungle or a swamp without remembering the quicksand from that nightmare. I don't like swamps. I don't like jungles. I don't like snakes and alligators and crocodiles. Now, my boys, just the opposite. They love Steve Irwin. Remember him, crocodile hunter? And you know, sometimes your children as a pastor, they can, they can just bring you back to reality. You know, they thought I was such a wimp because they just loved the snakes and they loved stuff like that. And, and I remember I was doing a graveside service after a funeral. And my boys, each of them thought they were Steve Irwin. They thought they were crocodile hunters. And here I am reading scripture and praying and my boys had wandered off as pastor's kids are prone to do sometime. And all of a sudden I heard while I'm praying, it's all right, mate. It's all right, mate. We've got you. It's all right. As they're chasing a snake through the cemetery. You see, my boys weren't afraid because they knew they were the next Steve Irwin's. And I got to tell you something. There is no need for you to live in fear in this life because there is a God that will never, never let you go from his right hand. And whatever the pit, God is always able to deliver you. Secondly, there's always hope for a new beginning. That's what it means to be born again, is to have a fresh start in life, a new beginning in life. It's, it's to be able to start all over. But sometimes for the Christian, it also means a new beginning. Because sometimes as believers, we fail, and sometimes we fail so spectacularly, we think there's no more hope for us. I wrote a restoration and renewal program for repentant ministers. It's still being used. And in that program, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize is that we were not so much pushing for sorry. We were trying to help people understand what the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus was all about. People fail. People fail. And sometimes what shocks us is... I, I understand why it shocks the world. Don't misunderstand me. I understand because we're expected as Christians to be perfect. So when a politician who runs on a family values platform, or when a politician or a preacher fails who preaches about right, I can understand the shock of the world. But we know if we've been in the body of Christ long enough, people fail. But there's a great story in the Bible that helps us to understand how to deal with failures, not with condemnation, but with compassion and conviction and with the ability to see people restored. I love reading books like this, but there's a book called The Book of Failures. It's a funny book. 
There's a story about a man named Arthur Pedrick who patented 162 inventions. He patented a car that if you liked your back seat better, you could drive out of your back seat. He patented the world's biggest pea shooter. Listen to this. He decided that we could cure droughts in the desert if we could launch snowballs from the Arctic zone into the desert. And he actually designed something that they say was capable of launching those snowballs, giant snowballs. And of course, they were ridiculous things, but he got them patented anyway. But one of my favorite stories, and Debbie, if you're listening, I hope you understand, I'm just trying to use this as an illustration. And that is that these firemen were called to rescue a cat. And they rescued the cat, and the lady wanted to show her appreciation so much, she invited them into her home for tea and coffee and desserts. And they had a good time. She was happy to have her cat back. And when the firemen backed out of the driveway, they ran over her cat. That's not funny. <laughs> they ran over her cat. You see, everybody fails. As a matter of fact, John Maxwell is saying, if you're not failing, you're not trying. He goes on to say, if you're not failing, you're not leading. If you're not attempting the impossible, you're not pleasing God. You see, everybody fails from time to time. And above all, we fail in life because we have a problem. We have a problem that the cup and the bread dealt with this morning. We have a problem that Jesus atoned for and broke the power of in that sin. And when we lose sight of that, then in our failures, sin can become more dominant to us and more real to us than our Savior becomes. And I never want sin to be more real to you than your Savior. You see, you choose your Savior or you choose to focus upon the condemnation that sin says to you, that you'll never recover, you'll never make it, you'll never be what God created you to be. And you see, legalistic people don't understand this because legalistic people don't really believe they need the blood of Jesus. Legalistic people really don't believe they need the cross of Jesus. Legalistic people are so confident in their own goodness and how good they do things. Well, God's just blessed to have them. But people who have been saved from sin, people who have acknowledged their sin, those people suddenly realize what John Newton realized. Grace is really amazing. It's really amazing when you think about it, isn't it? You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. You're saying even the legalistic people that do good works, who think they're saved by their good works, God is saying they're not good. That's exactly what God is saying because our good works are nothing in his hands. It's not our good works that save us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a fountain filled with the blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, the old hymn goes, lose all their guilty stains. For God's forgiveness covers all sin. Think about our psalm again, Psalms 130 and verse 4. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you or that we might learn to reverence you, that we might learn to serve you. God's forgiveness is for all my yesterdays, today and tomorrows. And God's forgiveness is for everyone who asks in faith. You say, Pastor, what does that mean to ask in faith? Well, 
if you came to me and you said, Pastor, would you give me $5? You have faith that I have $5 to give you. This morning, you're out of luck, just to make things perfectly clear. But you have faith that I have $5 to give you. You have faith that I give you $5, it's not going to hurt me. You have faith that when I give you $5, it's not going to take any way thing from me. God's forgiveness is such that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't rob God of any glory, but it glorifies God when you trust Him that His blood, what Christ did at Calvary, covers all of your sins. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? It covers all my sins. So listen again to verse 4. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. You're trusting he's going to help you. You're trusting in the pit of despair. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you or reverence you or live for you because God's forgiveness leads me to a godly life. And what is a godly life? A godly life is a life of love. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. It's a life of patience and kindness. A life of long-suffering. It's a life, now listen, this is what the legalist is trying to do. It's a life of right living for the glory of God. It's a life that Christ's life produces in you of motivations that are true. Oh, I have to tell you, as a man... I still love to read about Ernest Hemingway. I asked the family this morning, please, I want this information. Any pictures you have, any stories you can share with me about Ernest Hemingway. He was, for me, a childhood figure larger than life. In those days, I couldn't do anything. Those, those, I was still so sickly. I, I vicariously lived through Hemingway's stories and his experiences. But you see, if you try to live through anything other than Jesus Christ, you will fall into the pit of despair and you will come to the place where you wish I'd never been born. Where you will even resent your parents for bringing you into this world. You will come to the place where you give up hope. But in Christ, there's always hope. I am counting on the Lord in verse 5. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. So friends, if you will wait upon God, God does let us go through dark valleys. God does let us go through the floods. God does let us go through fiery furnaces. I'm not saying there are not tough times. It seems as though Hemingway went looking for those tough times. There are some people like that. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we will suffer persecution in this world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will suffer pain in this world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will suffer with the Lord. But we have to understand, if we will wait, we will grow in faith. We will grow in peace. If we wait expectantly, because God has a purpose in every loss. God has a purpose in every pain. God has a purpose in every sorrow. I don't know what that purpose is for my friend's family. I don't know what that purpose is today. But I do know this one thing. Kurt had amazing faith. And his beautiful wife, Annalise, has amazing faith. 
And I will tell you this, God will get glory. And Kurt today understands more than you and I will ever understand. But you want to wait with the body of Christ. We need one another. Right after the first service this morning, I've got a text message from one of our new online listeners and thanking me for the message and how much it meant to them. It says, we have worshiped with you every Sunday since you went online and they live several states away from us, and, but we've worshiped with you. I heard from a, another uh, person who's listening every week. They're listening to our prayer services. They're joining us for our prayer services online. They're joining us on Sunday mornings. They're joining us for our daily prayer updates. And thank you because they're living in a place where there aren't many Christians at all and they're finding strength and encouragement. I I got an email from a pastor this week in Africa to say thank you before the messages. We need the body of Christ, not just at Woodland, but we need the body of Christ at large. The bride of Christ is awaiting the bridegroom today. And we wait with confidence. Listen, we wait with confidence. And we wait reverently because we know that we know we can trust the word of Jesus. You see, God's forgiveness is a forever promise. It's a forever promise. Jesus had a disciple that failed spectacularly. Peter loved his own life more than he loved Jesus. Peter, when Jesus restored him, it's like Jesus is saying, he called, if you remember, now, now think back because I know you know the story, but sometimes we just skip over parts of the story. We read our Bible so quickly. Jesus didn't call him Peter. He said, Simon. Simon, do you love me? You see, Simon was his formal name. Simon was the name that he had before Jesus called him Peter. He's asking him, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you really want to be Peter? Do you want to be that rock? Do you want to be that, do you want to be a part of me? Simon, do you love me? Simon had loved Jesus, but he failed Jesus spectacularly. He loved his life more than he loved Jesus. He fell into a pit of despair. I go a-fishing. He's going back to his old life. And Jesus is saying to him, Simon, do you really want to be a part of me? Simon, do you really want to be a part of my life, of what I'm doing in this world? And he didn't ask Simon, are you sorry? He didn't ask Simon, are you sorry, Simon? Are you just sorry that you got caught? Are you sorry that somebody heard you deny me? Instead, he said, Simon, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Do you love me? In other words, he's asking Simon, do you want to be Peter? Do you want to be who I can make you to be? Or do you want to go back to your old life of being Simon the fisherman? And that is my question to you this morning. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're in despair, you can have a brand new beginning this morning. God will give you a fresh start in life. God will help you start over. Because the one question you have to answer is, do you love me? And Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, you know. What's he saying? He says, Lord, you know I failed you, but you know I love you. And I've sat with too many people. I've preached too many funerals where someone had failed. They still love Jesus. They still love Jesus, but they didn't understand how great the forgiveness of God was yesterday, today, 
and forever. And by not understanding that great forgiveness, instead of seeing the Savior, they saw the sin. And when Jesus looked at Simon, his answer three times was not, don't go do it again, because he knew he failed again. Paul's got to confront him. Paul's got to deal with him. And Paul's not even saved yet. He knew he would fail again, and he'll know you will fail, and I will fail. But when we fail, we run to the cross. We don't run from the cross. And so he says to Simon, feed my sheep. Do you get that? Feed my sheep. In other words, get back in the game. Get back in the game. Benjamin, our youngest son, hit a guy on the opposing team, and it hurt him when they were playing football. And Benjamin, when he hit, he did what he was supposed to do, and the kid was hurt and was crying and weeping on the ground. It broke Ben's heart. Ben's got a heart bigger than what Ben is. And the coach finally had to say, Ben, shake it off. That's football. You didn't mean to do it. And he smacks him on the back end and says, get back in the game. When Jesus is saying, feed my sheep, he says, stop focusing on your failure. Stop focusing on your sin. Focus on me. Peter, get back in the game. The blood of Jesus is for yesterday, today, and forever. God's forgiveness is greater than anything you could ever imagine this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, stand with me this morning. I want to read a verse of scripture and pray with you today. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. Would you say that with me? Unfailing love. Say it again. Unfailing love. His redemption overflows, and he himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Would you bow your heads? You know, if you're at home this morning, I'd ask you to even stand to your feet and join us in prayer. But you may, you may be seriously in a pit of despair. You may be seriously in a place where you've just kind of given up. But I want you to know this morning, there's a God in heaven who loves you. That's why he gave his son Jesus. And you might say to me what I've heard hundreds and hundreds of times. Pastor, you just don't know. I don't need to know. Jesus knows. I've seen so many people make a fresh start in life. From every walk of life. From every race. Make a brand new start. Because they chose to believe Jesus. They chose to believe their Savior and not their sin. You say, what do I do? If it's sin, you just confess it and say, Lord, forgive me. You see, I don't have to pay for anything. I don't have to do it. Jesus has already paid it all. I know it sounds so simple, but it's so sublime. It's a matter of trusting God. Are you listening, church, as you're praying? It's a matter of believing him. If you ask me for $5, I'm honored that you trust me 
that I've been a good enough manager of my money that I could afford to give you $5 and not hurt. I'm honored that you would trust me that I would do that. When you ask Jesus, you're saying, God, I believe you're just in forgiving me. I believe you're honest in forgiving me. I believe that you can do for me what no one else can do for me. And he will reach down into that pit of despair and he will lift you. He knows you're there, but you got to call out. You just got to ask him, say, Lord, save me. And if you've never done that before, maybe you're feeling something right now, it's called conviction. This is true, what I'm saying. It's called being persuaded. I mean, you know it's true. Remember when I said earlier in communion that sometimes it's not an audible voice. We just know God's talking to us. The Lord is speaking to you right now and saying, there's forgiveness for your sins. You can get a fresh start in life. So would you pray this prayer with me this morning? Just pray it out loud if you're by yourself or you can pray it quietly. Say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. I believe that you came and died upon the cross and was raised again on the third day so that my sins could be forgiven. It was your blood, Lord, that fulfilled the need for my salvation. It was your blood that washes away my sins. And I trust you for that. I believe you for that. And oh Lord, I'm in this pit. And I'm asking you to deliver me. I'm asking you to set me free. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you're still praying with me. Just, just hang in there. You may be in a place of despair. You're a Christian. You may have been in a place where maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your marriage, or maybe there's something, a decision you've made, and you're humiliated about it. And you're thinking it would be better that I wasn't even born. You're maybe even thinking that taking your life is the only way out. Oh, the Lord has sent me here to talk to you right now. And you wouldn't be the first one. I've had people come in and lay guns down, syringes down. People who called in the middle of the night. You see, Jesus, I told you earlier, there's no place that his love can't find you. There's no bondage that his, his love can't deliver you from. There's no pit that he can't lift you out of. And he sent me to talk to you this morning. Maybe you're in the sanctuary, or maybe you're listening. And to tell you, he will lift you out of that pit of despair. So would you pray with me right now? And let's pray the words of David. Say, oh Lord, I am in a pit this morning. I am sinking 
It's like the floodwaters are up to my neck. Oh God, deliver me. Hear me now. Pay attention to me, Lord. For if you kept a record of our sins, none of us would survive. But with you there is grace and there is forgiveness of sins that we might learn to live for you. I trust you, Jesus. Break the powers that bind me now. In Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone at home and in this church said, amen, amen, and amen. I pray you prayed that prayer. I pray that you ask Christ into your heart. And if you're in despair, that, that you know that right now, and we want to help you. Pastor Corey is coming. He's going to offer you a gift. Congregation, you can be seated if you like. Comes and does the closing for us. But I love you. If you need prayer, please don't hesitate to contact us. Or if we can help you, don't hesitate to contact us. The Lord bless you real good. so much for joining with us today and if you prayed that prayer like pastor mentioned and cross that line of faith if you're at home right now you can just write on a comment right now whether it's on facebook youtube uh, let us know you prayed that prayer and we can get in touch with you or you can email us at office at woodland.church and let us know you prayed that prayer we have a little book for you this book right here that we'd love to give you and and send it to you free of charge. Um, that's going to help you with your next steps. And so please let us know. And if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, uh, just stop by one of the tables following the service here and just say, hey, can I get that book? And we'd be glad to give it to you. As you're leaving here this morning, don't forget to uh, give. The ushers will be standing back there. You can place your offering along with your communication cards inside the baskets there. And online here, you can give as well through the website or our app as well. But you guys have a wonderful week. God bless you.